It's the season of giving, and we're looking ahead to the new year. And what better gift for the holidays is a gift that you get year-round, a book. Thanks to our sponsor, Book of the Month, we are happy to give you a discount on the best books of the year for just $9.99. You know I love Book of the Month. My mother was a member. My daughter's a member. I'm a member. And so do countless readers around the world because Book of the Month brings you the best titles at the best prices. Now, back to the discount. You can head to bookofthemonth.com and use code Adri at checkout to get your first book for $9.99. That's A-D-R-I at checkout. Thank you, Book of the Month. And thank you, dear listener. Thank you always, always for tuning in. And thank you, thank you for reading. You're a big gun. You know, you're filling arenas. <laughs> Not arenas. <laughs> well, they kind of Theaters. are. You did, you did Chelsea Pierce, and I didn't know, and I would have walked over there. Next well, time I'm going to be here, a town I'm, hall in February. Right, I'm coming to that. I'll be there. That'll be, I'll be better. There. I can't wait. Happy New Year, listeners. I like the sound of 2024. It sounds good, doesn't it? In this week's episode of You Are What You Read, meet the beloved, hilarious, and incomparable Gary Gennetti. You can see him on the road in sold-out houses around the country and internationally, by the way. We'll be posting where he's going to be. He's the Emmy Award-winning television writer-producer of Will & Grace, Family Guy, and too many more to name. He is the New York Times bestselling author of Do you mind if I cancel things that still annoy me and start without me? I'll be there in a minute. Gary's iconic wit and humor has entertained audiences all over the world. He has gained international attention on Instagram for his pithy and catty one-liners. I don't know if you'd like that word catty, but I kind of love it because you laugh out loud. He's got us laughing every single day. Follow him you won't be disappointed. From his start as a bellman at the Paramount Hotel, hoping to be plucked by a famous Hollywood star into the stratosphere, to well-deserved success as a beloved television writer and producer, we get to know Gary Gennetti in this interview and what informs his craft, and I know you're going to love him. Let's start the story in Queens, New York, where Gary's comedic sensibilities took root, and then took flight. I want to go all the way back to when you were a kid. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. I know. And it's a little bit, it was a little bit of, even though you had, your family was terrific, school really was difficult, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Was it the energy? I'm starting to think this is true because you perform alone Maybe it was the energy of all those other kids that was too much? No, not at all. I mean, nothing like that. I mean, you know, I think it's it's very simple. Uh, you know, it's that I was gay and I knew I was different and I was fearful of, you know, when you have a secret and you're hiding a secret and on top of that, you're a child with a secret, it takes it takes a toll on you. It, it's a it's a weight you know, and a child ideally should not have this, you know, adult kind of weight on them. But 
you know, obviously kids are complicated creatures and we and they all have different things. Being a little gay boy, it's something that you can keep secret from other people. There's obvious things like um, if you're uh, your race or your um, your ability with language, maybe you can't speak a language. Um, these are obvious differences, but we're talking about an essential difference being kept hidden. Yeah. I mean, look, everybody's different and everybody falls. For me, you know, there are kids that their their gayness kind of comes out maybe even um, in, in a bigger way than mine did. But mine, you know, kids can hone in on something rather. They know, you know, so I was kind of pretending to you know, I was always wondering how how can they tell this thing inside me that I'm different. So it just came about, you know, pushing deeper and deeper down who I was, and the the easier way to do that was to kind of uh, disappear, you know, just to recede into the background so that nobody would hopefully notice me. Well, there's this masterful thing that you do, which um, you know we all send around to each other, is you will post a single sentence, and. To me, that is indicative of a kid that ha is ready with a comeback. It's almost as if you've been writing since you were a boy because they're so sharply drawn. Maybe you don't think of it this way, but it's, it's an observation and then there's a joke within one sentence. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is in some ways, you know, I, I always think the things that... Um, you know, the sources of our pain are also our gifts, you know, we just yeah, oh, can't recognize it at the time. Absolutely. So what that forced me to do when you recede and when you disappear, you observe. So I was, I was observing, you know, because, uh, so I became a, an observant person by necessity. You know, I had mm -hmm. to read people very quickly. It was self-preservation. And with that, you know, comes a point of view. Uh, mm -hmm. And, you know, so I had access to, I think I had, you know, it's also a lot of it is, I, I feel like Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, outliers, the thousand, 10,000 hours or something. Right, you know, right, so right. it's not anything magical. It's, it's more that I spent so much time observing. I spent so much time watching television. And then on top of that, I've spent over 25 years writing for sitcoms. So, you know, you become, you train your mind to become more economical, to be able to kind of articulate maybe an observation in a, in a pithy kind of way from so much training. So it's not like I was a little kid who had these quips at the ready when I was 10 and was just waiting, you know, for an audience. No, no, no. I'm, that's not even what I'm implying. What, what I'm trying to get at here is that there's a sensibility in a voice that emerges as we go on in life. And a sense of humor is, as you know, you can't teach comedy. I mean, no, it's, it's virtually impossible <laughs> to teach it. And you know when you walk in a room if somebody tried to learn it and, and doesn't get it, right? Yeah. Um, but but yours is, um, it, it's observational, but it's always connected to something that you're feeling. It is, yeah. It's connected. It's never making fun of people. I mean, occasionally, you know, look people would people people might disagree but yes i have i mean i wrote on will and grace and family guys for so many years where you do you know there is there's usually and sometimes you step over a line you know um but there's no cruel intent you know no 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 and, no. and um but 
there and you always want to for me i always want to find a truth kind of a, a, mm -hmm, an honesty mm -hmm. underneath i was very impacted as a kid watching tv and i didn't recognize it was some kind of training ground but particularly i remember the carol burnett show uh mm -hmm. i was obsessed with it i was super young when i was watching it i was always watching things that were meant for adult audiences and um but again there was so little for children so it, it served me well you know start training them early but i recognized in what I was drawn to in her humor that there was always pathos underneath, underneath rather, like those Eunice, Ed and Mama skits, you know, that she did oh, yeah. that were just these yeah. wacky things. But this woman that she played was just, was unhappy in her life, felt unseen by the world and was desperate to be seen. And I couldn't articulate that as a child, but something about that, the, that the fact that it, it went deeper than maybe just the laugh was something that, mm -hmm. that stayed with me literally uh, to, to this day and everything, you know, all of everything that I've written, I always am like, what's the truth? You know, what's underneath? Why is this person kind of like this? What's their, what's, what's their damage? You know, what's damaged about them? Where, where is this kind of coming from? The, the, the humanity, I believe in it is what is what connects us. Yeah, the the humanity and the empathy that you have for these characters, because you'd have to be watching Carol Burnett hugely empathetic, because you're laughing, and you know that that character is in some kind of turmoil or pain. I love that you say she was unseen, the character Eunice, because she really was. She when when she started railing, you know, it'd always be three quarters of the way through the sketch. Yes, I would totally. To I, I totally couldn't wait for that when her eyes got yeah, crazy. Yeah, when she, she snapped. Just, I know. She snapped. Yeah, when she great. snapped, man, there's nothing funnier yeah. than that. You didn't know if she was going to throw something or throw mama. You didn't know what she was going to do. Well, let's go back to your dad was in the cruise business, which yes. to me, if I was if I was a, a, the, the little girl version of you, I would have been like, I'm in show business. That's what I would have thought getting on a cruise ship because there's acts on there. There's entertainment. I would have felt, and people are dressed up. I would have felt like maybe it was floating theater. Can you tell us how that informed you? Well, you know, my dad worked also, he worked in sales. He worked in the sales office and then he was a regional sales manager. So he used to travel a lot, you know, to, so it was no, it wasn't like a glamorous thing that he did, you know, he worked, but with it, we got like two free cruises a year. It was, was part of the thing. We usually went in the summer once or Easter vacation or something. Um, and cause I went to Catholic school. So we was, yeah, always had Easter vacation. And I was going from the first cruise I went on, I was, I think one and a half years old. So it was like, it was all I knew, do you know? It was always it was sewn into the fabric of my life. So it wasn't so much for me that it was, um, it was showbiz. It was uh, a place where I felt very happy. You know, it was, it took me out of my normal life and I got to, you know, I, I became obsessed with traveling from that. It, it also taught me certain things that we had independence. We were free to roam the ships. So at home, my life was very small. My life, my life, my world was very small. It was very contained. But when we would go on these cruises, my life was very big. We, I would go to bingo. Mm. I would go to the shows. We would meet friends. Oh. I was like a different person. I, I felt kind of free um, and happy there. And um, so 
Yeah. So and you that, had your sister to pal around. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. And your sister are very. Uh, yeah, yes. You and your sister are very close yes, too. Yes, and we would we would live for for these cruises. And then even when I got, you know, it was such a normal thing for us at certain ages. That once when you know when when I was sixteen and my sister was eighteen, my parents. Uh, couldn't go for whatever reason. We went alone, you know, on a cruise, but we were never oh to tell gosh. anybody that our dad mm-hmm. worked for a cruise line for, you know, he was like, I don't want people knowing our business, you know, Italian, very Italian American. And um, so we would, you know, with the fear of God. So people, God knows what people thought of us, these two teenagers alone on, on a cruise. Uh, I went alone when I was um, 17 once, you know, in high school. Again, thought nothing odd of it. But so odd. But it was it was a very it's familiar just, it's thing. It's so odd because because cruising, you know, that's like now with yes. the baby boomer generation, yeah. they are cruising I know. to their deaths, and, and basically. Then, then, you know, cruising was it, although the love boat was on the air, so that that actually was what kick started the cruise industry. You know, the love boat mm-hmm. made it um, very mainstream yep. and it was kind of overlapping mm. a little bit. Then it started to overlap the love boat. But at the time, you know, cruising was most people had never been on a cruise and there were not that many cruise ships mm. and they were not huge. So there was a certain also, um, even it, though it was still very, ex- it was accessible to the middle classes. It wasn't like, you know, a rich person thing like staying at a Four Seasons resort. You know, it could be if, mm-hmm. if you chose that. It could that. be but like it was in also, the Queen Mary. Yeah, but right. it was also, it, it could be accessible, but it was just something that a lot of people at the time you know did hadn't really done because you know it was just coming so that also was part of you know i don't know why it still kind of has a romanticism to me i I just uh, that in your books when you write about it i'm crying because i don't know anybody else in the world that ever wrote about that (laughs) or had that experience and i think that Gary, that's what makes you who you are, is I don't see you coming on the page. I'm like, who is this? And and yet I fall in love with you when I'm reading you because you, your box of memories are so lucid and so clear. And you have this way of distilling what happened to you. And this is the great thing. You... You have a life now, I think that's pretty wonderful, isn't it? I mean, if if the if you could tell that little boy back then, hey, you know, hang on, because this is going to get really good. You're going to be filling stadiums, as I like to call it. <laughs> Are you surprised by that? No, you know, yes and no. You did you really think that the key was just get out of childhood? get me on my own, get me to 21. Yes. Is that what's yes. in your head? Yeah, okay. I did. I, I got to get out of here. I, I felt like I, I did always feel like I was biding my time, you know, that I, w- I was waiting, you know, that my time would come. I, I, I kind of felt like, you know, it was also, you know, you, you in, in a way you have to feel like that. I remember my parents, because even as a, as a kid, you know, I would have... A, <laughs> My tastes would only grow when I saw that something existed. All I ever knew, you know, was what's in your world, you know. So we had a very middle class mm-hmm. background. Like I, I like I think I write in my first book, you know, I didn't even know the Ham I lived in Queens. I had no idea the Hamptons existed. Where would I know the how would I know about the Hamptons? One of the, the richest, wealthiest, most beautiful communities was like ninety minutes from our house and I had no idea it was there. I didn't find out about it until I was in my twenties and I was like, You've gotta be fucking kidding me. This thing has been out here the whole time and nobody told me. <laughs> so it was the kind of thing as a kid, like when I would 
you know, when, when certain clothing would become super popular that you'd want and all the stuff that I want, my father would always say, boy, you better, you better, you're such, they thought I was such a dreamer. Like, I don't know who you think you are, but you better make a lot of money one day if you want to be able to afford all the things that, that you like. And I was, and I was very much like, I'll show you, I'll show you all. <laughs> that's so funny. But that's also, Gary, that's so Italian American yes. too. Mr. Fancy Pants over yeah, there. Get yeah. ready. Oh, you think Strap you, in, baby. You think you're special? You're be- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never... Kids now think they're special, by the way, which I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't have kids. But we uh, certainly didn't think we were special. Nobody no. ever told me I was funny, amusing, anything. I, I, you, no. You know, you, no. Hey, did anybody tell you you were handsome? Because you're handsome. Did they tell I did, you you were I, knew, I knew I was good looking. But I had a kid because it was a kid. Because people would... Ball, and my mother would never... She didn't like... It. She was like... She didn't want us to get big heads as kids but but i but i was like i knew i was a good looking kid <laughs> what big head what big head because i, I, mean, I was like this will protect uh-huh. me you know th- this will somehow right right <laughs> to have some self-loathing would really keep you keep you nice and in your lane right a little bit of self-loathing and self-deprecation that's the way to go you do there's a wonderful thing well, I want to talk about what you grew up reading. Okay. Can you remember the first book ever given to you? Mm-mm. The first book ever? No. Can you remember what was read to you? I don't. I can remember school? nothing being read to me. I mean, this is not no, even in school. Oh no, I remember nothing being read to me. Not even in school. I don't remember my parents ever reading to us. I don't think that was like a thing <laughs> that I know. I don't remember being read to in school particularly. Um, but I do remember learning. I learned how to read very quickly. Um, I, I remember I was very good at it. Was it Sally, Dick, and Jane with probably textbooks yes, that were yes, yes. that were twenty five years old, right? Um, because I would look at those clothes and go, "Those clothes aren't the yeah, right yeah." Clothes. It was definitely that. that kind of stuff. But it came to me. Um, I remember it was something I picked up quickly, and I and I was reading very well. I always read very well, very quickly. And by the way. You know, because I'm not tooting my own horn because that's the only thing that came to me like that. So I never thought mm-hmm. much of it. But that was the only thing that I I had um, math, science. I still to this day have no concept. But reading was something that um, made made a lot of sense to me. Did anybody ever in a meeting with one of your teachers, did your mother com- come home and say you're reading on an 11th grade level, Gary? There was, or I remember getting like, uh, your reading is, is good, but it was like, yes, that, that there was something like that, that I did well in that, that, that I, that, that was the area I exceeded in. Do you remember the SRA reading stuff yes. where you had to color in a box? Yes. You know, Gary, I have spent, oh, I don't know, <laughs> 20 years trying to find like some of the those SRAs. booklets and stuff. Yeah. That I, ju- I just want to see where I colored in the things, right? Uh-huh. You can't find them. Yeah, they must have stopped taking those tests a long time ago. But do you remember what those stories were about? No. Like it would be like a reptile's journey to the center of the earth. It was like these weird the, the but the more you did, you got to they get they had it came with a set of pencils. Yes, that I remember the teacher that. teacher would then and you would color the square in. And by the time you were done in a year, it was just a mosaic of color. And they'd go, mm, "You're turquoise or you're orange." You know, and the more you got a new color every time you got through however many of those you got through. Yeah. Okay. That I don't remember. You don't remember that? Mm -mm. And you don't remember the stories themselves. Mm -mm. That's interesting. However, 
No, I do. When it came time, I do remember every episode of One Life to Live. <laughs> that now, see that comes in. <laughs> that comes in handy. Now. Yeah, I was just saying this. I was saying this to everybody in the office. I was going like, "Hey, the people! If, there's people dropping like flies right now, and I mean young people, thirty to fifty, and some of them were on soaps and things." And I go, "Does anybody remember? Nobody remembers, but yeah. I can remember some because my grandmother called them stories. Yeah, of course, that she watched. Yeah." But so you were a one life to live person. But here, here's what got me. Now this, I just put the book down and I would just howl because you were very connected to the song "Hard Candy Christmas" yes. from the Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Okay, which is I think one a beautiful melody. It is. But basically, it's it's prostitutes hanging out in an old farm, yeah, saying goodbye to one way of life and hoping that there's something out there. You know, maybe I'll dye my hair. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Who knows? You know, for, for, for these poor prostitutes to try to invent a new life, I thought was a lot to ask in a musical, but they did it. Yeah, it's a very poignant they did song. It. Oh, you weep. You, you know, it's, it's sad. Yeah. Uh, but that's the one you keyed into. Yeah, well, I took piano lessons when I was a kid. My mom, I was forced to do one thing. So my mother, like, we, we were, I was forced to take piano lessons. It was, it was like, you'll do one thing. So every, the only um, music that I liked, my music books, Mr. Anderson, my music teacher had, a, I always learned a Broadway musical. There was always a musical book that, that I learned. And, and I got the best little whorehouse in Texas. So I was, when it came out, I, I guess it was, you know, maybe, 14 years old when it when i was doing sure. it and then that song hard candy christmas i play on the piano all oh. the time and sing along <laughs> sing along to it all the time with not realizing really what i was singing along to but then you know what i kind of think i was you know, i you connect you, you connect to somebody yeah. who, you you connect to what the underneath the, the 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 feeling of longing you know so their their pain was my pain you, their pain was your pain. And also, they're being misunderstood and outcasts of society. Sure. Which is what you felt down deep inside. Sure. Did did it, I don't sense this in your work, but it did not send you on a bender to love the American musical, did it? Uh, what do you mean? By that, I mean, once you, you heard Hard Candy Christmas oh, and you listened I, to it I had a, already a loved, thousand times. I had already loved. I was a, a fat, uh, I adore musicals and I, I was obsessed with them from... I was already, that's a massive fan. I, I, yeah. Going to Broadway by myself on, on the bus. Yeah. I think one of the reasons that your books are so popular and that you're so beloved is that <laughs> even though you were raised in Queens, you might as well have been in Arkansas. I mean, you really, everything was a chore, right? You had to take the bus into town, right? To see a musical or, convince people to go with you there's a very poignant story about a nice kid in school who you asked to go yeah. with you to best little whorehouse and he says nah, i don't want to do that yeah i guess i didn't think of it though as a, like i might as well be in arkansas i was very aware we lived in new york city i mean i i we, we took buses and subways everywhere so i did not feel in any way that i did i lived anywhere other than new york city I, like everybody else my identity was very much as as a new yorker it was just um that I wanted to be in Manhattan, you know, <laughs> like I wanted to be something place more exciting, but I didn't feel necessarily like I was so far away because we were okay. Very, you didn't feel isolated. Mm -mm. Yeah. You know, my mom and dad were great about um, us going like we could, you know, we 
they liked Manhattan. They were both, my mom was born in Manhattan. So we would go into the city. And, and, and so it was definitely something, um, that 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 I knew was you know right there and, and I and, and I love I loved being close. Did you read Act One by Moss Hart? I didn't read Act One by Moss Hart. Okay, we're gonna send it. to Okay, you. please do. And I, I, and, I would, and I would love to read it. I've read Arthur Lawrence's autobiography. I, I loved Arthur. Yeah, and, I, and, I loved that too. Yes. Or, that yeah, he had some. Mm. But um, this one is it 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 reminds me of you, and it's really kind of the the wonderful possibilities of New York City, and he's in Brooklyn. And so for those of us, for those listening that don't, it, there's five boroughs, it's all New York City, but the, in the boroughs, you, Manhattan is the island in the center, and you know, it's where everybody wants to go, Staten Island's also an island. But um, the connections um, to Broadway and the connections to where the shows are, I, I still feel when I'm here, there's something happening. And when it when it's eight o'clock at night in New York City, you feel it. Yeah. And do you feel when you walk into a theater? Because like I, I don't know if you were a theater major. Were you a theater major in college? Uh in school in school I, I minored in it. Well, that was good. Yeah. You got you got all your cores in there. Mm -hmm. So you did but you were an actor for a minute, which I think is what probably you're leaning in on that talent when you're doing your performances now, I'm sure you are. Yeah, definitely. And also, I mean, and, and, and ironically, you know, once I, I've been acting now um, lately, so it's kind of like, it just came to me later. I love that. Do you feel um, that your childhood prepared you for your life now? Yes. Really? Yes. That's fantastic. You feel like it all just built up and, and, you know, you can, you can rely on that. That's your platform, your foundation. Yeah, I think so. How Italian do you feel? never been asked that before i remember the first time we get we had to go internationally on an airplane where we were flying to the cruise ship by the way it, they used to leave from manhattan then eventually we flew to um the caribbean to get the ships or wherever and i had to there was a, a customs you know form that you had to fill out and ask for your nationality and i put italian and my mother was like you're you're american <laughs> I was like, I thought we were Italian. I was so confused. I was like, oh, so yes, you know, Italian American. Yeah, I feel very. It's you know, Italian American, as as you know, Adriana. It, it's like its own nationality. If you've seen, you know, The Sopranos, I think they captured it so beautifully. You know, when they go to Italy and and realize the Italians don't see them as Italian and they don't have any real connection with them they're their own thing so i think italian americans are like a, this this kind of neat hybrid thing but i yeah i feel very much um in tune with my yeah being italian american because my both my parents are so as far as i know i am you know 
like you're that. Italian both sides. Yeah. And, and that's been my whole, you know, my, your childhood, you know, the Italian thing of how we kind of, as you know, the, how, you know, the year unfolds, it, it, it's pretty much the same for everyone. The families, we, it, there's a lot of mm-hmm. understanding. Like I can watch the Real Housewives of New Jersey and, and I'm like, I get those women, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you, um, you, did you have big family gatherings when you were a kid? Uh, not big. I actually don't for Italian, uh, American, I don't have a big family, uh, but we always had family gatherings. Yes. And how important did, was the Catholic church in your upbringing? Do you know, I guess it was, it, we went to Catholic school up until a uh, high school until I graduated high school. So I always was there and I wore a uniform and stuff, but my parents were, um, I, I think they had a healthy attitude towards it. They never said it, but my 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 sense was that they kind of, you know, what works for you is what you use. What doesn't work for you, then maybe you don't use and you don't talk about it. And so it wasn't, there was never, uh, it wasn't like, a lot of judgment on things and we went but we went to church every week and then when i got to i think i was 13 or 14 we were maybe 14 mm-hmm. and my sister was like 15 16 my mother out of the blue because we never missed church a week in my life by the way up until this point unless you were sick said now you're old enough to decide if you want to go to church and we were like, you're kidding, right? Like, we get to decide? We were never asked if we wanted, like, you would, that was the first thing I think I was ever asked to make my own decision about in my life. And it was like, I was like, I don't want to go. <laughs> no, thank you. So you didn't, you didn't get, you didn't get pulled into like the teen group at church no, 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 or no, no, the no. choir. No, no eh, you guys just went. We went. We were there. We went every week. I went, I took all my, you know, I took religion in school for the whole 14 years that, that I went there or whatever. So, um, but I know they've changed. I haven't, I think the last time I was at church was a funeral and they've changed like the responses and the prayers that mm-hmm. I was like, oop, mm-hmm. <laughs> when did they change <laughs> I this? I thought You're this stuff right never in. changed. I thought that was the Listen, charm he, of it. Uh, but and yeah, that, and you're blurting at the wrong in the silences. You're blurting something. And it's, yes, they, they've made some it's some tweaks since the last it's time. Terrible. I was there. This is terrible. Uh, do you feel that um, uh, your Italian heritage? Do you feel like in any way that 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 it gives you a worldview in any way? Does it give me a worldview in any way? I don't really know. I, I, you know, to to be honest, probably. You never wanted to create an Italian family sitcom, or you never wanted to create a play or a musical. That Italian American. Well, I am. So I, you know, it, it it just that just feels like it feels like we've evolved past that. Like who, you know, I don't yeah, like well, who, like you're like, who one. Cares? It, yeah, it's like right. it's a you know, no, I never. But I like when I was on Will and Grace. Uh, Will's boyfriend, Vince, was from Queens and he was Italian American. So, and then he had an Italian family from Queens that they all, you know, went to and Mm -hmm, Grace slept mm -hmm. with his brother, didn't know he was 16, which was very funny, which you couldn't do now. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, so in ways like that, you know, you know, certainly, but the idea of like, yeah, no, it just feels very dated to me uh, of doing something like that. Where do you see things going for you in your storytelling? I'm working on another book now, and then we'll see 
you know, where things kind of, where, what I feel like doing, what, what kind of, what I feel passionate about. It's a very, it, it's a Sisyphean task to get anything from your brain mm -hmm. to the television. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it almost feels like everything mm -hmm. is conspires to kind of, to, to mm -hmm. stop when something's being created. It, 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 it always feels like you really have to push through this kind of force field to, to mm -hmm. get it through. And I've learned at this point in my life, I only want to do the things that I really feel passionate about, as opposed to, well, that could be fun. Let's see how that is. I'm like, I don't have three years to waste on, well, that could be fun. You know, it, it needs to be something that I really um, feel excited about. When you're writing, do you ask yourself the question, what am I trying to say? What am I trying to get across? Sometimes, yeah, I, I do. Yeah, kind of. And sometimes I don't know if I have or not, to tell you the truth. I'm just like, I hope I have. You know, I hope it, it kind of came through. I also try to trust that it will come through, that certainly with essays that are autobiographical and, and so Thus far, that's what my books have been. They're, you know, uh, hugely autobiographical, and certainly they're just—they're just wonderful. I mean, they're just <laughs> thank they're, you. They're—they're—they're they're, they're hilarious and they're poignant and they're always relatable. I just hope, you know, if I remember something, I'm remembering it for a reason. If something is, you know, if if I remember this thing, there's usually a, a real reason underneath it that you remember something. So that's. What makes it, for me at least, um, I, I think I couldn't have done these books in my 30s or 40s, certainly not mm -hmm. in my 30s, because you need a bit of distance, you know, from these. So I, the distance actually allows you, I should say, the distance allows me to be more honest, you know, with myself. Mm -hmm. I'm not mm -hmm. trying to protect some kind of image or some kind of thing. I can be more honest about, you know, the past. And I hope that if I'm remembering it and I'm writing about it as I'm writing it, some kind of truth will reveal itself. And oftentimes it's not until I'm actually writing it that I'm like, oh, it's actually about this. Like th I thought I was writing about this thing, but it, I'm actually writing about this thing. And my hope is, and usually I find it in the writing, so I don't know before I write it. Like, I'm going to write this story about this, but it's really about this other thing. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. You know, it's interesting because you do write essays and you love the Carol Burnett show. So you like standalone pieces that you sort of string together like pop beads. You like that reading experience or performing experience or writing comedy experience. Is that true? Yeah, I don't, po possibly. I mean, I don't, yeah, there could be, look, there, it would be much more than that, I think. I think, though, for me, having written so long on television before I started writing books, it just trained me to write more economically. And I also, obviously, you know, brevity is the soul of wit. I mean, I do like to, you know, get in and out and, and to tell something and not to belabor um, these things. So that's why the essays tend to kind of be very like, you, you know, concise. And I think that part of that is, is from all of my TV experience. And um, so I, yeah, I think it's just what I'm trying to get at, I guess, Gary, what I'm just trying to get at is who did you read 
that informed your style now? Nobody that I could think of that I read that it, nobody informed my style. No. Uh, Interesting. What, what informed my style, especially with for for by the time I got to the essays and doing that, I'd been writing for so many years. So I just think it's so many things that inform. It's nobody and everybody is the answer. Nobody and everybody. Such um, a great answer. So I, mean, I, a great I couldn't answer possibly, because, yeah. you know, f- distill uh, anything. But I, I've been a I've been read my whole life, so I'm a big reader. I read I read a lot, and I've read since I learned how to read, and I've watched a ton of TV my whole life, and then I've written a ton before I started writing these books. So it's it's like everything. When you were when you were a kid watching television, because it did not dawn on me. Honestly, till I was out of college, that that there were jobs where you could oh, write God, for television. No, it never dawned. Are you kidding? No, I, I thought it was I, magic. No, I so I never even thought about it. Like how there's somebody. No, of course I didn't think it was magic. Like I knew it seemed real. D- did it seem real? Yeah, it's just like an, I just didn't think in terms of it. I certainly didn't uh-huh. think in terms of it as anything I wanted to do or I could do. It, and I was later probably I was. Like even in college, I didn't know, think about it. After college, um, yeah, for years, it wasn't until, it was like a kind of a, it just kind of came out of the blue. <laughs> like when I was mm-hmm. a bellman, I was like, I'm going to move to LA and write for TV. Like, and I, and I knew nobody and I didn't even know how. I didn't know what it was either. I didn't yeah. know that you got an agent. No, My friends I knew here nothing. grew up in New York. No, I was 28. I was 28 and I was still a, this is though the power. I was 28. I was still a bellman and I knew nothing. By the time I was 29, I was already writing on a TV show. It was kind of like once I just was like, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to move to, I didn't realize that the 28 years leading up to that had given me a lot of, um, you know, prep. I had done all my homework and had given me so much kind of stuff. It was your reading so early and so intensely i think that built you as a that writer and my tv don't- that equal to my television watching if not the tv more so i mean i watch tv almost every hour of the day and um yeah and it trained your mind like i could write one of those sitcom scripts like i was like oh i could do this <laughs> okay before i let you go you you ha- i mean can you tell us there was a sh- the shows that were on, were not on for very long because those used to be remember they called them summer replacement series yeah they used kids. to be like sure yeah okay now I remember one where Paul Servino was the dad and there was a girl named Devin Scott and it was written by I found this all out later I didn't know any of this when I was a kid by I think by Alan Alda it is about a family in New Jersey yeah and um. Do you remember this show? No. I mean, do you have a name? Okay. We'll get by. No, but it we'll sounds get like by. every other show title. Yeah, but no, like every I, other I show. Okay. This. All right. What do you remember? Which which one of those which one of those obscure summer replacement shows did you go? All right, now there's an idea. I remember a show called Husbands and Wives and Lovers. Do you remember this? It was called, I think it was like the, the TV show American Style, Love American Style had become popular. Yes. It was Husbands and Wives and Lovers. 
And I remember it was like an adult show kind of a thing. And I, and I remember, I can still remember the theme song from it. And one of the actresses, Claudette Nevins, I think was her name. She always played the kind of the snooty, you know, sophisticated woman in the 70s. And it was just like, yeah, I'm sure it was on for like one summer. And it was like, a, like a, I guess it would be like the equivalent of a, to a bedroom farce or something. But it was yes, like these yes. vignettes of, of stories. And I remember watching yes. that at like 10 years old one summer. So that, that still is in my head. See, I think that's like, that is, yeah. And that's what informs us is those things that we cling to. And I love that you marry the idea of what I remember is how I create. Yeah. If I can remember it, I can build upon it. Yeah, that's, that's a nice really, way to that's, that's a nice really, way to articulate that. It's really fascinating. Gary, you Gary Ginetti, you're a national treasure Aww. and an international treasure. Yes, you are. <laughs> Thank you. You sailed the seven seas, baby. You <laughs> sailed the seven seas and you qualify for an international treasure, but you bring so much joy and so much hilarity to the world on a daily basis. I just like to see what sticks in your craw and how you're gonna, you Aww. know. And you know, it's just it's wonderful. Well, you're it's very, wonderful. you're very you're kind and very generous. Oh, please. And come see please. me because I'm going to be traveling, you know, going to Australia, traveling the country, and I'm going to be reading essays from both my books and interacting with the audience. We're going to post your appearances so people can get their Great. tickets now. You know, we believe in, in getting tickets in advance. All right, Gary, all, always a thrill. Thank you so much. Adriana, a pleasure. Nice to see you. It's always a treat to sit down with Gary Gennetti. I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. And I hope you get tickets to see Gary live on his Blueberry Muffin Tour, January and February 2024. That's right now. Gary's going to be in some of my favorite cities. Austin, Texas, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, San Francisco, Seattle, Boston, New York City, and on the home front in Los Angeles, California. If you can't see Gary on tour, be sure to follow him on Instagram at Gary Gennetti for his daily humor bombs that will keep you laughing in 2024. And over here at You Are What You Read, we got updates and giveaways. Please join us at the You Are What You Read page on Instagram. We're always providing new information, plus bonus videos from the conversations in the show, so don't miss out. Thank you all for listening today. And always, always, thank you for reading.